0: Uh, So we're talking about uh, oxidizing and reducing reagents and about alcohols and Grignard reactions to make them. And if we have time at the end, we'll get to a little bit about green chemistry. Uh, I maybe should apologize a little bit about the last question on the exam. I I got carried away. I wanted to have something that was relevant, and uh, at least historically relevant. So that I could have chosen a better NMR problem, probably. But I wanted to show you why it's a neat story. So I, had, I showed you uh, during the exam this uh, dissertation from, from the University of Michigan in 1921. And notice it's about the color of free radicals. Uh, it was found originally that the, that the um, solutions were colored. Have any of you ever had a colored solution in lab? Have any of you ever not had a colored solution in lab? Right? They're always colored. So at first people put no, uh, paid no attention to it, but after they got good at doing it, they observed that the solutions were colored, sort of a reddish-yellow. But when you swirled the thing, the color went away. It was colorless. But then it came back. Then you swirled it again, it went away. It came back, went away, came back, went away, came back, away, came back several times. And so this uh, was something that required an explanation of what the color was and how it went away. So on page eight of this, of this dissertation, there's this thing up on top that has a sort of a complicated scheme, or it seemed so at the time at least, uh, to explain the color. Right? So the idea is that A, what, what compound is A in this? Can you see what it is? A up at the top left of the scheme. It's <laughs> triphenylmethyl, triphenylmethyl. It's hexaphenylethane, right? That's what Gomberg set out to make, remember? And then what's to the right of it? What's B? It's two triphenylmethyl radicals, okay? That's what he decided he had made on the basis of their reactivity. But he's drawn something else here. Uh, down below it, he explains the color by drawing what we would regard. As a resonance structure of the free radical, which puts the the radical uh, out on the para position of one of the benzene rings and draws other double bonds there, uh, and that's they th- the theory then was that when you had that double bond and two double bonds conjugated like that, that caused color, right? So he explained the color by saying that it was that it was what we would say a resonance form but he said in equilibrium a form that was colored and the idea was that the radical was colored but very reactive but it was in equilibrium with the dimer and the dimer was not colored like tetraphenylmethane right was not colored okay but the but the monomer reacts quickly with oxygen So, when you swirl the flask and let oxygen get into the solution, it immediately destroys the colored stuff that, in his opinion, the quinoid form, these double bonds, right? The resonance structure, we would say. But it destroys the free radical, then exhausts the oxygen, right? And then, if you let it sit a while, the color comes back, because the equilibrium between the dimer and the monomer reestablishes itself, so the color gets back. But if you swirl it again, you get oxygen and it destroys it. You can keep doing that until you've used up all the radical. So that was the, that's how color got into the, to the act. right? Now, the NMR I, tried, I, I asked you to explain, and a number of people got it, is that the dimer of triphenylmethyl was finally measured by NMR in in uh, 1968, and here's a spectrum of it, and you see it can't possibly be hexaphenylethane, because it's got one group of 25 hydrogens, another of two, another of two, and another one, right? So if we look at, at hexaphenylethane, of course, it should have six phenyl groups. Six times five is 30. There should just be that one peak. So this obviously isn't that. What is it? Right? That. Hexaphenyl is the product of alpha-alpha coupling, the two radical carbons coming together. But notice what could have happened. It's obviously not that. But if you had the triphenyl methyl radical up there at B, and if we use a line instead of a dot to denote the extravalence that's not being used, and over here draw the, the resonance structure, which has its extravalence out at the right, then you could imagine, those of course are just resonance structures. But you could imagine two of them coming together like that to form this dimer, so a different dimer. What advantage would it have over, what disadvantage would it have compared to hexaphenylethane? How about this ring here? Right? We've lost the aromatic stability of the ring. Right? What have we gained? In what, so, that's a way in which this dimer would be worse than hexaphenylethane. Is there any way in which it would be better? Less it's less sterically hindered, right? And steric hindrance counts for a lot in these things, although that wasn't much appreciated really until uh, after 1950 or so. Okay? I mean, people had talked about it since the time of Victor Meyer, but it really didn't convince anyone that you should think about another dimer rather than hexaphenyl ethane. So anyhow, if you think, if you consider this structure, notice that you have the explanation for uh, two hydrogens here, the blue ones, two hydrogens here, the green ones, a hydrogen here, the the red one. And you have coupling between these two of about 10 hertz, so it's a double doublet, right? And it's distorted because the at this sixty megahertz spectrum, the chemical shift difference isn't large compared to the to the J coupling. So the inner peaks are large and the outer peaks are small. But if you look even more carefully, you can see that there's a three hertz coupling between the red hydrogen and the green. There's a little bit of doublet splitting here and a little bit of doublet splitting here. Just it's hard to see. And in fact in some related samples you can see a little coupling between this hydrogen and that one as well. And these therefore, are a little bit split, but not enough that you can see it. Why don't you see the splitting in that one? If A splits B, B should split A, because this hydrogen is being split into a triplet by these, and into a a small triplet by these, only 3 hertz, and then into even smaller triplets by these. Right, so it's just a whole bunch of peaks on top of one another that just look like a lump out here. So it's quite clear what this structure is that this that it's this quinoid dimer. Once you have the NMR to see it, okay. So it's an alpha to para coupling, the central carbon alpha, right, uh, with the para position of one of the benzene rings, which avo- avoids the steric hindrance. Now. How about the color? Remember, that the reason Gomberg thought it was this, this, uh, uh, that it, it was this, was that the radical was colored, the stuff that went away rapidly when you swirled it. But the stuff that was in equilibrium with that was not colored. That's why the color went away, but came back again when the equilibrium was reestablished. So the stuff it was in equilibrium with was not colored. This, he thought, should be colored. Right? So he thought it couldn't be that dimer. And he was almost right. This is the UV spectrum of that stuff. So it has quite a strong absorbance here at uh, 318 nanometers, but it peters out just at 395 nanometers. And as it turns out, The ultraviolet, the invisible part of the spectrum, ends at 395 nanometers. If it had been five nanometers more, he would have seen the color of that with his eye. So he was close, but no cigar on that one, right? And because of that, for for this for uh, whatever it was, uh, uh, 46 years, people had the wrong structure of this important compound, right? Now, in fact, that's at minus 60 degrees, where the equilibrium lies toward the dimer away from the monomer. But if you warm to 21 degrees, now you see the, the absorption from the, from the monomer. There's enough of it to see. That's at 513 nanometers. Uh, okay. And the reason it's colored is not because it has this quinoid structure, which was his theory, but because it has a non-bonding SOMO. So normally you have bonding and antibonding orbitals, pi and pi star are conjugated ones, right? But this one has a non-bonding orbital right in the middle, so a much smaller gap. So, it, so the energy is much lower of the quantum that gets absorbed by the free radical. OK, now uh, this was published in, in that, that thesis that appeared here. Uh, was published the next year in the Journal of the American Chemical Society, almost word for word, about the color of the free radicals, right? And this is the, the uh, passage of that. It says uh, <coughs> the relationship between color and constitution of triphenylmethyl are briefly stated the following first, that you have a colored free radical in equilibrium with the dimer, hexaphenylethane, right? And second, The color is attributed to the quinoid tautomer, we would now say resonance structure, C. So the color was attributed to that. But notice what's interesting about taking this paper from the dissertation to to the printed form in the journal American Chemical Society, the published form. What got left out? The correct structure of the dimer. So it was intentionally left out. Because of this color, the color thing, they, the, the, the correct dimer was dropped for 46 years because they thought it should be colored, and it just almost was. So I think that's an interesting application of spectroscopy. OK, now third thoughts on the friedel crafts reaction. Remember we had thoughts, we had second thoughts, uh, now we have third thoughts. And uh, the second thoughts, just to to uh, remind you was that when you uh, do a friedel crafts reaction, you could imagine benzene being a nucleophile and displacing chloride from n-propyl to give n-propyl benzene, and and that would be an SN2 reaction. Or you could imagine if it broke the bond a little more that the hydride could shift and you'd get isopropyl, either, either with the aluminum chloride tightly associated with it, or since it's a secondary cation, maybe much looser. Okay, so that would be like an SN1 reaction that allowed the rearrangement. But then we wondered uh, what would happen if we rotated and had a methide shift if we couldn't have a hydride, if we instead of a hydride shift. Then we get the if we had the rearrangement, we'd get the same thing back again, it would still give N propyl. Uh, so the question is is it SN2 or is it SN1? And then there was this additional complication that if the methyl got stuck halfway in a cyclopropyl protonated cyclopropane uh, structure, that still would give the n benzene And in fact, Dino found in 1968 that you did that and that it was randomly distributed because the hydrogen can zip around the periphery of the protonated cyclopropane. Okay, So then I posed to you a way to become famous, a problem. How to decide whether the whether the friedel crafts reaction really is an SN2, where benzene is a nucleophile and displaces chloride from a thing like this, either before or after the methide shift, or whether it's an SN1 reaction. Did anyone have an idea how to solve that? Yeah, You Matt? used deuterium. Uh, we could label like to see where the deuterium ends up in the n-propyl. And what I found since I posed you this way to become famous was that somebody actually did that experiment. Right? It was done two years later, in 1970, and it didn't make them famous. Right? <laughs> the, the paper has been cited only twice in the succeeding 40 years or whatever. Okay? And it was done by Lee and Woodcock in Saskatchewan in 1970, so they prepared the one with deuterium here. And they did the reaction with aluminum chloride at five degrees for four, centigrade for 45 minutes. That's near the freezing point of benzene, so it's about as cold as you can get if you're going to use benzene as a solvent. They also did it with another inert solvent. The idea is that that would slow the nucleophile would then be more dilute, the benzene that's doing the thing, so it would slow down the displacement reaction if it were an SN2. Okay. So what would you expect if it had, if it had been? an uh, SN2 reaction without any rearrangement. If it had just been benzene being a nucleophile, the only thing aluminum chloride does is help the chloride be a good leaving group. Then where would the deuterium end up? Here, here, here. One, two, three. Ashvin, what do you say? You just did the exam, you should.
1: Frived on this.
0: It should be here, right? Because if if benzene just comes and attacks this carbon and chloride leaves, then the deuterium should all be there. What if it undergoes a methide shift, right? Then where would it be, Ashvin? The deuterium, remember, started here, right? And then the methide shifted, if that's the mechanism, yeah? Then it would be here, right? And what if it went through a protonated cyclopropane? Right. Then it would be scrambled. We already know what protonated cyclopropane would be. So now by studying where the deuterium is, we should be able to figure out of what the mechanism is with N, that to give n-propyl benzene with n-propyl chloride. And what they found was that 90% of the product was diduterated there. And none of it was diduterated elsewhere. right? So it really is the case, then, that there's less than 2% of partial or full methide shift en route to N-propylbenzene. Right? It's just the simplest thing you think, that it forms by a benzene nucleophile doing an SN2 reaction. Okay. Now why isn't it 100%? Uh, because other cations, are able to abstract hydride from this position to make this cation here. And then the deuteriums get washed out of the molecule. But anyhow, that's, that's, uh, that's what they found. Uh, so uh, you'll have to find out some way, other way to become famous as an organic chemist. Okay. Now, at the end last time, we were doing oxidation and reduction as bookkeeping. Uh, not because there's anything re- real about it but because it can help us to classify reagents. We've been classifying reagents as high HOMOs, low LUMOs, weak bonds, for example, if you want to get a a free radical reaction. Uh, But there's a completely different way of classifying them, in a a sense a very artificial way, as to whether they're oxidizing or reducing agents. So we went through a whole bunch of uh, reagents and classified them as uh, oxidizing reagents, the, the elemental halogen, disulfide. Uh, uh, chromium trioxide, reducing agents. Uh, methane is a reducing agent, but it's it's not very reactive because it doesn't have good homos or lumos. Right, free radicals are what we need to get a foothold on that. Or lithium aluminum hydride, H minus, sodium hydride, potassium metal, which can give up electrons, and RSH can give up a, uh, can give up uh, H minus, and we saw that when you oxidize back and forth between disulfide and, and uh, thiol. Okay, and, but HCl, KCl, the elements are in their normal oxidation states, so you, they're neither oxidizing or reducing. And just at the end, we got to water and showed that in water, hydrogen is plus one and oxygen is minus two, so it's neither, right? Although. Uh, and in fact you can see that when it uh, the reaction of water with ethylene catalyzed by acid and the the carbon is -2 minus -2 two, minus two for ethylene after you've added it's -1 minus -3 minus right so one carbon got oxidized but the other carbon got reduced and there's no net change right so you don't need either an oxidizing or a reducing agent Right, because there's no net change in the oxidation step. So water can do that. So, but water does uh, work in oxidizing-reducing uh, scenarios, and in particular, a very important one, photosynthesis changes, oxidizes water to O2. right? But at the same time, uh, reduces the hydrogen in water to the equivalent of H And that's NAD takes up the H to become NADH. And remember, we've talked about that being a source of hydride, H minus, right? So it gets both oxidized and reduced. Uh, So not all reducing agents would work satisfactorily for any given reaction, but it's typically futile to try a (coughs) reagent from the wrong class. You don't usually use bromine if you need to do reduction, right? Or or, uh, hydrogen chloride if you need to do either oxidation or reduction. Right? So it can be a big help in narrowing the field in choosing reagents. Now I wanted to uh, uh, go to the board a little bit to show uh, oxidation states. This was done uh, in the class uh, last year by Professor Siegel from Zurich, but I thought it was handy to do, and I will do it again on the board here. Uh, is that one, and is it this one? Yeah, OK. So let me just put this screen up. And when it gets far enough, well let's see, and I think I can. And can I blank that video mute? Okay. So we we've we've talked about uh about arranging uh 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 see is there one other set there's one other set of there we go okay now he chose to use CH4 CH3OH CH2 formic acid and CO2 as examples of oxidation levels of carbon let's just do it a little differently not that it's better or worse but let's just have an R on there so we going to have RCH3 okay what's the oxidation level of the carbon Remember how we do the count ca- in the bookkeeping? If you have another carbon attached to it, you may share the, the pair of electrons evenly, no contribution to oxidation state. But if it's hydrogen, hydrogen gives its electron to carbon in making the bond. So this carbon will be plus three. Okay? Uh, uh, minus, three. Uh, minus three, pardon me. Thanks for being on your toes. Okay, then we could have R CH2 OH. Okay, so the oxygen cancels one of the carbons, so this will be minus one. Notice we're going in steps of two here, right? The same went went up there, but I've decided to put an R on instead of one of the H's just for variety. So now R CH double bond O. Right? Now it's plus 1, okay? because you have two oxygens, one hydrogen. Then we could go R, uh, <coughs> CO, OH, a carboxylic acid. Now it's plus 3. Right? And at the very end, you can go to CO2. Then you don't have the R in there. And that's plus 4, as it says up there. Okay, now let's, uh, let's look at different classes of compounds at their levels of oxidation. So we could have alkanes. So we could have, uh, uh, let's see, well, we've already got uh, RCH3. Okay, that's minus three, so we'll check that one. Okay, now can we have an alkane? Which has the, the oxidation state of carbon minus 1. So it would be a carbon that has all bonds to carbon, right, except one bond to hydrogen. So a way to do that would be to have R CH double bond CHR, so an alkene. And then we could go to alkyne, uh, R C C R. So this would be alkyne, and each of these is is minus one. Overall, it's minus two, and each of these is zero. Right. Now. What this means is that, <laughs> that if you wanted to get an alkene, it has the same oxidation level as the alcohol. Right? Have I got that right? Actually, I should have worked this through better ahead of time. Um, it works, that one works better in his scheme. But notice that you can the, the uh, you can get or another alkene would be R, CH, CH2, right? Uh, so this one you can get from here just by a reaction we know. What's the reaction that would go from the alkane to the alkene? From the alcohol to the alkene. How do you get there? What do you call that reaction? To start with an alkane, and get, oh, pardon me, this, this, is R, this will be R prime because this C is part of the R here. right So this one involves that's elim, an elimination reaction. You just treat it with acid. You don't need an oxidizing or reducing agent, right? And if you do uh, an, an al, so, so the idea is that you can go down this way with neither. But if you have to go back and forth this way, you do oxidation or reduction. Right? So you could have alkyl halides. Right. So here you would have Rx right and this would be the the carbon in the rx would be minus 1 right the carbon that's attached to to the x that is the x ness of it is minus 1 let me make I should make it rch2 sorry and how do we get say the bromide from the alcohol what reagent do we use? PBR3. Or the or the chloride, SOCL2. These are not oxidizing or reducing agents, right? The the elements are in their normal thing. So we could we can go down without using an oxidizing or reducing agent. You wouldn't uh, <coughs> now how how could we get from here, from an alkane over to here? How would you put bromine in? Say, what reagent would you use? If you had an alkane and wanted to make an alkyl bromide, what reagent? No, that's very good. If you have an alkane, so CH bonds, and you want to make CBr, anybody remember a reaction to do that? What's the problem in reacting an alkane? They're not reactive. Why not? No high HOMOs, low LUMOs, right? no functional group. How do you get at something that's not a functional group? How do you get at the hydrogens? You can't use HOMOs and LUMOs. How would you change methane into methyl bromide? Yeah? BR2, Cl2. It's a free radical chain reaction. Right? But notice the things you're using, BR2Cl2, are oxidizing agents. Right? So to go across in this direction from one column to the next, you use you need oxidation. Right? Or you could do another oxidation and get RCHX2, right? And that would require from here doing a second free radical substitution. But if you came down from the aldehyde to get there. It's the same oxidation level. So you don't need something like bromine, right, to get from here down to here. How about a few? Uh, uh, we could do alcohols too. And of course, we could go also to the, to the tribromide, RCX3, uh, say. And that we could get from an acid. Right, without using an oxidizing or reducing agent. But if we have to get it from anything over here, from an alcohol or from an aldehyde, we have to do oxidation to get that somewhere. Okay, and the ultimate one is uh, like CO2 would be carbon tetrachloride, for example. That's the that's completely oxidized form. Or if we have uh, alkyl halides, alcohols. Here we had an alcohol, right? But suppose we made a diol, R OH uh, taken twice, and with an H in here. RCHOH H taken twice, right? That if we've started from an alcohol to get that, we have to do an oxidation, choose an oxidizing agent. But if we, if we could make it from an aldehyde without, without using an oxidizing or reducing agent, can you think of any way of going from an aldehyde? to a carbon that has two alcohols on it? you remember what you call a carbon that has two OHs on it? A diol, Where do you get it? Um, so we need to do an oxidation, like bromine or something like that?
1: No, we immediately
0: see you don't because they're in the same column, right? It's the same oxidation level. So you remember what the what? How how do you make a diol? From, let's let's uh, do that here. R, C, O, H, and I want to get R, C, O, H, O, H, H. What do I do first, Derek? Protonate the oxygen. Protonate the oxygen. <clears throat> plus charge here. And then uh, an OH minus comes in attacks this. Yeah, OH minus. So we've added H plus OH minus. It's more likely that in, if you're using acid catalysis, that there's very little OH minus around, right? Because the acid would have reacted with it. So what would you normally use to come in to make the C-O bond? The CO water. Bond. Water, no. right, and then lose a proton. So the proton's just a catalyst, right? Uh, so, but, but notice what we're using is just water, an H-plus catalysis, or OH-minus catalysis, too. You can have hydroxide add first, and then this pulls a proton off water. OK, so, so uh, you go up and down. Using just water and acid, things that aren't oxidizing or reducing agents. So you can see how that might work out. That if you uh, create in your, on your study sheet uh, a list of oxidation levels of, of things, and uh, then you can see uh, it, when you're faced with a given problem uh, whether what kind of reagent you need to choose. And if you can simplify to a third of the reagents you know, that's a big help. Okay, now. Uh, So that's just the bookkeeping. There's also the question of the mechanism by which you do this. So let's just consider Br2 as an oxidizing agent. So if you have an alkane, uh, RCH3, say, and you react it with Br2 to get an oxidized form, RCH2Br, what's the mechanism by which you do it? We just did this. Chris? It's a free radical right? So we get Br dot uh, taking the hydrogen, and we've we've done this before. Get the radical, and then so free radical chain reactions. So bromine's an oxidizing agent, but acting as SOMO. It's different with alcohols. Let's suppose we have Br2, and we want to react it with an alcohol. How does the reaction begin? I mean it would be possible to do it by a free radical reaction, right? If you had if you put in an initiator to get chains going, it would be possible to do it, but there's a better reaction to react Br2 with ethanol. And how does that begin? Amy? What makes Br2 reactive? High HOMO, low LUMO? What's high HOMO for? Unchaired pairs. Unchaired pairs. What's low LUMO? There are not many orbitals there. Sigma star. All right, sigma star. OK, so we got sigma star here. And what's high HOMO, then, of the alcohol? Here? The lone pair on the O. OK, so lone pair on the O. Let's see how these work. PR. Pardon me? No, oh, it, it um, attacks the signal like star and takes one of the Br. Right. I want to do this with a red. Actually, that's no better red than the other one. OK, so this comes in here, and these leave. And we've, we've seen things like this forever. So we have HOBR. And uh, let me write this with this unshared pair, just for, to be cumbersome about it. <coughs> OK, and bromide came away. And there's a plus charge here. How do we get rid of the plus charge? Maybe you're doing this here. Um, In the H leave. Yeah, the proton will go away. So now we got OBR. Oh, I was going to make that CH2, CH3. Okay, and and here we got this. And now, can you see anything that this might do? What reactions have we seen when we have atoms next to one another, bromine on one, hydrogen on the other? Undergo E2. Are they? Undergo E2. An E2 reaction. So we have some base. It doesn't have to be a strong base. It could just be the alcohol. Or it could be the bromide that we lost here. Okay, so this can take the H. This goes in, and these go on the bromine. Bromine. So now we have double bond O. This H is still there, CH3, and. Bromide, which has that pair of electrons. So we've oxidized the alcohol to the aldehyde, right? We've gone from here to here. And notice what the trick was. that The first oxidations and reductions we talked about were electron transfer, an actual electron transfer, like from a metal to a, to a sigma star bond of an alkyl halide. Right? Here we're transferring electrons, but in pairs. The electrons start belonging to the oxygen, then they're shared between the oxygen and the bromine, and then they leave with the bromine. So the bromine came in and took a pair, and shared a pair of electrons then went away carrying them away right so it removed this pair of electrons and that's how the oxidation occurred okay so that's just an so th- these reactions are just this is an sn2 reaction and this is an e2 reaction so they're just normal mechanisms, but because of the way we look at it, it's a it's an oxidation reduction reaction. Uh, okay. And now CRO3, chromium 6. Let's do it this way. It reminds you a little bit of a ketone. Right, the CrO. So you can imagine adding water to give Cr O, OH, What's the oxidation state? If the chromium is the oxidation state here, what's its oxidation state here? Plus six. Plus six. six. What's its oxidation state here? Still plus six. What? Still plus six. How do you know? You could water. add up all the bonds, use. but if you used water, it's going to be the same oxidation state because water's not an it's Still plus six. <laughs> right. Or you could uh, you could imagine uh, making having two of these. So these are a little bit like alcohols. You could imagine to make an ether from that. So you could have C R O C R, right? With uh, O, OH, OH, uh, O here. O, O, OH. So this is uh, chromium trioxide, chromic acid, uh, dichromate, and so on. So there are lots of different forms, or you can get, if you reacted it with uh, HCl. You could uh, protonate, lose lose water, add the chlorine instead, so you could get OH. But all of these are just different disguises of the same thing, chromium six. Okay. Now let's consider the reaction of any of these with an alcohol, like uh, H-O. CH two CH three, right? <coughs> so we can have the unshared pair, and I'll do it in red again, right? Attack the chromium. So we got H O Cr double bond O double bond O. Uh, <coughs> O minus, or OH. Let's do the OH. Right. And now notice that we're in the same business we were with bromine. We have now, uh, let, me, let me write this out so that it looks like the one over there, H, H. So now we can bring up some base. Uh, take this H, this goes in here. And the chromium leaves with that pair of electrons. right? So again, just as before, it will, lo- will have lost the proton. It looks just like what happened over there. The chromium came in, shared the pair of electrons, and then left with them in the elimination reaction. Right? So again, it's, a, it's, it, it, it's oxida- an oxidation. And if you look at the chromine, a- chromium afterwards, it's C-R-O-O-O-H. Right, and what's am uh, I right here? Uh, minus. <laughs> so it's got one, two, three, four, five that it's giving to oxygen, but it gets an electron back with the minus. So this is plus four. So chromium goes from plus six to plus four in the process of doing this this uh, oxidation. OK, now there's a problem in doing this to make an aldehyde. And the problem is that if you're, if you're, uh, when you're working in water, if the, pro- the product you're going to get here from this elimination, you've lost this proton, you lose this H, break this bond, so you have C double bond O. Now if that's what you want to make, there's a problem. Because aldehydes, you know, have an equilibrium constant about 1 with water. So this is going to add water to make a diol. And why is that a problem? Because alcohols react with chromium trioxide to get oxidized. So you, would, you could, you could uh, uh, lose, lose this. Uh, uh, so this oxygen can give up its pair of electrons, get oxidized. you lose this H and this H, and then you would have OH C double bond O. So you over oxidize, right, all the way to the carboxylic acid. We go on another step up there. Now how can you avoid that problem? Okay. You can do it by making this the reagent shown here whoops. pyridinium chlorochromate. So notice you added HCl to CrO3, which made chromic, uh, chlorochromic acid, and then the proton is given to pyridine to make a pyridinium cation. Now that is organic enough that it's readily soluble in organic solvents, right? which the other forms of chromium that we talked about are not. Now can you see what advantage that might, pro- that might uh, provide? to do it in an organic solvent, rather than in water.
1: So the the reagent
0: is called pyridinium chlorochromate. And here's an example, where you get a 92% yield uh, of the aldehyde from uh, a straight-chain alcohol using pyridinium chlorochromate. The crucial thing is the solvent is methylene chloride, CH2Cl2. right? No water. No gem diol, and therefore no overoxidation, because the mechanism requires the alcohol to react with. Okay? Uh, I took that example from Loudon's textbook. However, if you so textbooks often, uh, I have no doubt that that that, that happened and that they got 92% yield. But as a general reaction, there can be a problem. If you look at what Wikipedia says about this, there seems to be the voice of experience writing. It says, in practice, the chromium byproduct deposits with pyridine as a sticky black tar, which can complicate matters. You've gotten a rose-colored picture in your lab. I mean, you've often had frustrations, I know. But those reactions are carefully chosen, so you don't get sticky black tars. But you find very often, when you try to do something in organic chemistry, you get something that's very difficult to filter or deal with. And that that can happen in this reaction. But anyhow, pyridinium chlorochromate is what you use on an exam when it's asked, how are you going to oxidize an alcohol to an aldehyde without getting a carboxylic acid? Now, you can have, oh uh, sorry, we're going to have to carry on with this next time. Thanks.